And uh, let's make sure we get this uh, recorded up there. And uh, now we don't have a microphone, right? That one, that one, uh, give up the ghost. Okay. All right. So I'm going to ask you to speak into this microphone so we can get this on the recording as well, which is going to be kind of weird because we're going to have to stand close. But we're brothers and sisters. That's okay. All right. So why don't you, I'm going to come over on this other side. Yeah. Yeah. Because that would get real weird. All right. There we go. So what, what happened? You know, that time you were on the treadmill in Arizona. Tell us what happened. Actually, I was doing floor exercises. But whenever I do my floor exercises at home, I listen to the sermons from this church. And, um, and I'd been dealing with shoulder issues for quite a long time, and it was really concerning me because they were getting, it was getting worse and worse. And actually, my pastor's uh, wife in Arizona deals with the same thing. And I think she actually has had to have surgery on it, and she's missed church several times because it's so bad that she can't even raise her arm. And mine was starting to get like that. So at, whenever I was actually doing floor exercises and I'd go to put the weight up, I'm like, ugh. And so I was getting really concerned, and then one day I was just listening, as I normally do, to the sermon here at church and doing my floor exercises, and it was hurting, and some woman had a word of knowledge, and she came up here and said, there's, um, I don't know if she said a person or people who are dealing with shoulder issues, and I went, oh my gosh, that's me. And I'm thinking, you know, but here I am in Arizona, you know, a few hundred miles away, listening to this on, actually I get it on CD, and... Uh, and she, uh, she said, I think it's the right shoulder. And I went, oh, my gosh, that's my shoulder. And so I don't know if it was Johnny who prayed or she who prayed. And they prayed for the shoulder to be healed. And my shoulder was like about. Wait, wait, wait stop for a second. She can call me Johnny. Because <laughs> she's my big sister. All right, go ahead. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure who prayed, but my shoulder was like, I think it was like 80% healed immediately. And I don't know if they prayed again or if I just said, no, I'm pressing in for this. By the time I was done exercising that night, it was gone. Amen. And that was several months ago. And it's totally, totally healed. Amen. So that was several months ago and you're healed. Go like this. Yes. little demonstration. Amen. And I, I've heard how this can happen. Where people like at Bill Johnson's church, people are on the cell phone. They call someone. I was like, well, how the heck does that happen? And then it happens. So now I know what happens. Amen. Long distance. Yeah. Amen. See, this is where we certainly don't want to get into heresy where you say we don't want to do things that are extra biblical or things. Weekend is the uh, or next Saturday is the Luis Palau City Fest. We asked Luis to come to the city. Over 500 churches have gotten involved. Ours is one of them. Um, now, listen to this. Over 40,000 volunteers have served our city for six for six months, including many in this church. And we have given the city over uh, 400,000 hours worth of free service in many different uh, areas of our community. And the purpose is for the city to see that the churches are here to be an asset to the city, not a drain, not an enemy. They can yell separation of church and state. We say, well, we're going to serve you anyway. Amen. Luis Palau said in all the cities he's been to doing these city fests, which thousands and thousands and thousands of people are going to be at this coming Saturday. He said this city has responded with more volunteers and more volunteers than any city he's been into yet. Now, people used to say that San Diego was a pastor's graveyard. And years ago, Billy Graham didn't even want to come here anymore. That has changed. Amen. That has changed. And uh, we've never heard a testimony like this before where San Diego responded more than any other city. God is reviving our city. And we are right on the cusp of it. We're right on the cutting edge of it as well. So 
But let's get into the word of God this morning. If you're visiting here today, we welcome you. There's a visitor card you can fill out. Drop it off at the visitor center on your way out. Uh, there's a visitor packet for you, a, a CD of our worship band. That's just a wonderful worship CD, as well as a testimony booklet in there of many healings that have taken place in our church that will really inspire your faith to believe God. And, uh, and then tomorrow we've got a Labor Day picnic right up here in Hilltop Park. You can see the park from our parking lot. And so the directions are right there in your bulletin. You can catch it on the website. And uh, let's just have a blast tomorrow. We're providing fried chicken. There's no reason for you not to come. Come on, it's a free meal. And uh, we'll have drinks there, fried chicken, bring a side dish or something to share with others. We'll have volleyball tournaments, a jumping for the kids, I think. It's going to be a great time. And it's going to be cooler tomorrow than it was the last few days. So it'll be great. Says the man from Canada. He watches the weather like a hawk. It's wonderful having a frost back on staff. Let's go to first Samuel chapter three. Uh, do we have the um, uh, Kirsten, did you connect with Dirk on those? Uh, did you get those those bulletins? Were they are they in the the postcards in the bulletins? OK, we have another school, of the supernatural coming up. Uh, in just a, a few weeks, the School of the Supernatural is a school that we have pioneered with Bob Max from the Connection Church. And we bring in guest speakers who are operating in a specific gift of the spirit or a miraculous gift for the purpose of imparting it to you. So then you can have that gift deposited in you and you can be experiencing it where you work, uh, where you live, where you play. We have some great testimonies of people who have healed the sick that never healed them before. Until they came to the school, the supernatural prophecies, dreams, the of spirits, people activated in the supernatural like they never had before coming to the school. This next time we have uh, Kevin Deadman, who comes out of Bethel Church up in uh, uh, northern California, and he's known globally for what he calls treasure hunting. And that's having words of knowledge, the of spirits, prophecy, seeing things uh, that God shows you, then you go out into the place you work, you live, and you see that very thing, and it gives you uh, the prophetic insight on how to minister to somebody. Some great stories. You want to be a part of that. There's some uh, postcards out front for you to grab and, and have all the information you need. Today I want to talk to you again about, I want to continue last week's message on hearing the voice of God. At the beginning of this year, God said to us that he was going to open our ears. And the vi- his vision for our church this year was that, he, that each one of you we're going to begin to hear his voice for yourself because that's the way that you end up with spiritual revival when you are revived and you are revived by the voice of God. When God speaks to your heart it illuminates your soul, you feel like I hear from my father in heaven, man, it solidifies you. Your faith is strengthened. You just feel like you can do anything with and for God when you can hear his voice. Now, we taught on that for a few months. But I was hearing through the grapevine that there are some who really feel left behind because when other other people are saying, I heard from God, God spoke to me, God said this. And you feel like, well, I'm just not that person. I don't hear him. You, it actually is counterproductive for you. So last week we looked at First uh, Samuel and I was teaching into uh, three hindrances to hearing the voice of God because God wants everybody to hear his voice. And so let's read First Samuel chapter three. Verse 1 through 15. 
Let me get to first Samuel because I'm in Ruth. So it'd be easier for me to read it if I was there. Well, I am in Ruth chapter three. Maybe there's something there. All right. Now, the boy Samuel, verse one, ministered to the Lord before Eli and the word of the Lord was rare in those days and there was no widespread revelation. That is not God's design for your life, for our church or for the planet. God's design is for there to be the lights are on. God is speaking. We're all aware of him. We hear him and we can obey him. And there's heaven and earth are walking together. So when you read something like this. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Can you imagine if your dad doesn't talk to you and what psychological, emotional ramification that that uh, that inflicts on sons and daughters when the father's silent or the father gives the silent treatment? Sometimes people feel this way when they don't feel like they can hear from the Lord. I want to say that is not happening. God is speaking. God is in love with you. You are God's child and he wants to connect with you. But there was a time in history where the Lord was not speaking. And there are reasons for that, uh, that we can learn as we move forward. But it is not God's design for you not to be able to hear his voice. And it came to pass at that time while Eli was lying down in his place. And when his eyes began to grow so dim that he could not see. And before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was. And while Samuel was lying down that the Lord called Samuel. And he said, here I am. Now, I'm so tempted to expound on all this, but I did that last week. So you've got to grab, uh, grab it off the uh, online. I'm just going to really discipline myself to read and teach on what I'm supposed to teach on today. But this passage is so rich. My elders are laughing because they know it's probably not going to happen. So he ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. Then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. He answered, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor is the word of the Lord revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived. You get that? He perceived God was speaking. Eli just wasn't picking up on the signal. He wasn't perceiving it. And that's one of the points from last week. So I'll move forward. He perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down and it shall be if he calls, you must say. And this is where we're going to land on today. I'm going to read through the passage. We'll come back to this. Speak, Lord, your servant hears. He said, you must say this. You must be in this posture. Speak, Lord, your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord called, came and stood and called at other times. Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I will do something in Israel, which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. And that day I will perform against Eli all that I've spoken concerning this house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows, because his sons made themselves vile and, and he did not restrain or correct his children. And therefore, I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So no matter how much offering Eli would give, it would not fix the problem. So Samuel lay down until morning and opened the doors 
of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Now, there are three uh, hindrances. I'm sure there's more. These are the three I've picked out of this text of hearing the voice of God. Last week, we covered two. Number one, you're just not recognizing his voice. Number two. I'll come over here and see what number two is. Number two is you may not be seeking his voice, which I'm not going to expound on again. Listen to last week's sermon. And number three, you may not be serving God's purposes. Now, this is huge. You see the phrase he had to say to him. Eli knew the right combination to walk with God. He just wasn't doing it himself. He said, "Okay, listen, here's how it works. When the Lord speaks, you say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Eli had stopped doing that years before. But he knew how to tell somebody else how to walk with God. Many times people say a lot of times because people are really hungry to know what God's will is for the life. What is God's will? What is God's purpose for my life? And when we come at it from a Western mentality, a um, uh, living the American dream mentality, we have all been raised under this philosophy of the American dream, which is, bottom line, it's all about me. And when we come into our Christianity with it's all about me, and we have that uh, self-centered mentality, it will not work in the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God does not operate that way. The kingdom of God is about Jesus and about Jesus's kingdom. He is the king of a kingdom. He has graciously called us by name like he did Samuel, and he invited us into his kingdom. Now, we are to be serving him. And without that fundamental paradigm shift in your thinking, you're going to be so frustrated as a Christian. And you're going to be pouting and whiny when God doesn't answer your prayers the way you think they should be answered. Because, again, it's all about you. And when people don't do what you want them to do, you're going to be really upset and you're going to blame God for it. It's just we were raised this way. We are consumers. But God is not going to change the kingdom dream to the American dream to satisfy us. You see, there's a place where we need to come to. uh, We need to come to a place where we're like Jesus saying, I must be about my father's business. And Jesus said, if you will seek my father and his kingdom first, I will add all the stuff to you that you're trying to clamor to get. But I don't think we really believe that. But God is good. And God will graciously give us all that we need and many times what we desire. But the key is for us to be turned to be about his business. That's a major shift that you have to decide that you are going to draw the line and say, I'm no longer going to be about me. I'm going to be about him. No matter what it costs me, I'm going to serve Jesus and his kingdom. All of heaven will applaud (laughs) and you will start seeing your prayers get answered quickly and in a way you have never seen up to this point because it never was really all about you. It's always been about him. And so here's the answer to what is God's purpose for my life? You have an outline there. You can fill in the blanks if you want. This will answer a lot of frustration, a lot of questions you might have about your walk with God. This fundamental paradigm shift. The answer to what is God's purpose for your life? God's purpose for your life is for you to fulfill his purposes. 
And once you get on his page, now things are going to start clicking. I mean, Bruce here is an inspector on a on a construction site. Um, and when when people when when subcontractors walk onto that that complex, do can they do whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want to do it? Or do they have to kind of come under somebody else's auspices, somebody else's oversight? That would be you, he says. <laughs> Bruce says, that would be me. I almost feel like I'm talking to Jesus if it was the kingdom of God. But it's like that. You can't be a lone ranger walking onto a construction site and deciding that this is all about me and I'm going to do it my way. No, you walk onto a construction site and there's a foreman, there's an inspector. You have to be part of a team and there is a goal and agenda and the owner is the one that dictates everything. The person that owns that hospital up in Escondido is the one being built in Escondido. Bruce is the inspector on that site. There is an agenda that was set before you ever arrived with your buzzsaw or with your, your piping as a plumber or whatever it might be. You come onto that site and now you have to find out what's the agenda here. How do I fit in? I'm here to do my part so that this can be accomplished. And when we as, as, as believers come into the kingdom of God, we need to find out, God, what are your purposes? How do I plug into your purposes? And this is what Eli is saying to Samuel. This is how you must respond to God. Listen to how Jesus says it. Jesus and his disciples were walking through Jerusalem one day or through Samaria. Jesus just got done uh, witnessing to this Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. She runs into the city to tell all the people in the city she just found the Messiah Jesus' disciples, Peter, James, and John, and these guys, they come back to Jesus, and this is where we pick it up in John 4. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. You see, that's what I'm talking about here. Jesus knew his disciples had not yet gotten the paradigm of the kingdom. I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. Now they go back to thinking natural. He's talking kingdom things. And they say, could, could someone have brought him food? In other words, they went into town to get Jesus food. They come back. They know nothing about how Jesus just led this woman to himself and that she's evangelizing her whole city now and the kingdom's advancing. And they say, here, eat. We brought you food. And he said, no, I got food you don't know anything about. <gasps> Who brought Jesus food? How could that happen? And he says, I have food you don't know about. And he says, my food, said Jesus, my sustenance, my satisfaction, what fulfills me is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So, you know, that one phrase where Jesus says, you and I do not live by bread alone, but by every word proceeding out of the mouth of God. In other words, Jesus says, just like you and I need to eat every day, you get hungry, right? You know, your spirit gets hungry for the voice of God. Do you know your soul is hungry for the voice of God? That's what Jesus is saying. It's not poetry. It's real. The human race needs Papa's voice. We need to hear him, know him, be aware of him, be communicating with him as his sons and daughters. That's why Jesus says you can't survive by natural food alone. You live by every word proceeding. It's a, it's a, um, a continual present verb tense. Not you live by the scriptures that were written black ink on white paper and you read it like a history lesson. Jesus said you live by the rhema, the living word, the life-giving words that are proceeding, present tense, out of the mouth of God. 
That's what feeds your soul. A word for today to your soul. And so Jesus said we not only live by the words proceeding out of the mouth of God, but we also live by doing the words that are proceeding out of the mouth of God. This is where you find your purpose. Look what now this man. I talk about mm, bottom line in the situation. Look at this next passage and John uh, uh, and Luke eight. Then Jesus's mother. You know who I'm talking about, right? You know who I'm talking about? The mother Mary. If this passage we're about to read doesn't clarify the situation, I can't preach it any better than what Jesus just said right here. This right here, no pun intended, is the mother load. Are you ready? Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they couldn't get in because of the crowd. Now, you know, Mother Mary is expecting preferred seating. Now, think about it. You're the preacher. Imagine you're the preacher. Your mom shows up to the meeting and the usher comes up and says, your mom's outside. There's so many people or she can't get in. What are you going to do? You're going to yank somebody by the hair off the front row and say, I want my mama right there on the front row. Right. I mean, it's this social protocol, social etiquette. It's polite, if, if not smart. What does Jesus do? Someone told Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside and they want to see you. Jesus replied, my mother and my brothers are those who hear God's word and obey it. Not just hear it, but do it. Jesus says, these are my true disciples. These are my, this is my family. The Apostle Paul says it this way. This is just paradigm shifting stuff. And then I'm going to get into the meat. Therefore, Paul says, we make it our aim whether present or absent, whether here on the earth or in heaven. That's what that means in context. Either whether we're on earth or even when we're in heaven, our aim will be well to be well-pleasing to him. How many of you want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant? How many of you really want to hear that? That's my goal in life. Some of you love me, some of you hate me, and some of you loved me yesterday, you hate me today, you'll love me again tomorrow, right? And you know what it's like, we're fickle. Right. I mean, on the earth and we're looking for the, you know, for people to love you, people to like you, people to applaud you. I'll tell you what, when you enter heaven, your face to face with Jesus Christ is only be one person you care about saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And the only way you and I are going to hear that there is if we're living for him here. And you only have so many days to spend serving him on this side of heaven. So the sooner you get this paradigm shift the better for you and your judgment day. And so Paul says, we make it our aim. This is something you have to do. We make it our aim, our goal, our purpose in life, whether here or there, to be well-pleasing to him. So here's a question. Why did God save you? To do good works in his name. Look at these two passages. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. In other words, when you got saved, all of heaven didn't go, oh, we are so impressed with that individual. My goodness, we're lucky to have them and can't wait till they get to heaven. It says you can't take credit for it. It was God's gift to you. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. I think it's funny when people say, oh, well, God's going to accept that person because they're a good person. 
That means they didn't need Jesus to die on the cross for their sins? I don't think so. We have all sinned. No matter how good you are, you've sinned. And the penalty of sin is death, eternal separation from God. That's why salvation is a free gift through Jesus Christ. Now, this is awesome. For we are God's masterpiece. Will you say that? Say, I am God's masterpiece. Now, I want you to say it and think about it and believe it. Say it again. I am God's masterpiece. Now, rib your spouse and say, told you so. And listen to this. Here's the purpose. It's not so everybody can stand around and go, whoa, you are amazing. That's not the purpose of you and I being God's masterpiece. What's the purpose? You are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. It's about him. Now, Solomon considered the wisest man to ever live. The first 40 years of his life. Then the second half of his life, he decided, I'm rich, I'm powerful, I'm the king, I have it all. And this is what he said. I decided not to deny my flesh anything. Wow, what a paradigm shift. He started out with the wisdom of God when he was David's son, Solomon. God visited Solomon when Solomon was seeking after God. One night he was crying out to God and God appeared to him in a dream and gave him the gift of wisdom, which is why he was the wisest man on earth. It was a gift from God. He lived on that gift of wisdom for a few decades. Then something shifted in his heart. You know what it was? Sorry, ladies. It was a woman. Actually, it was many women. And there were women that were not godly women. So, okay, now you're off the hook because you're godly women. These were ungodly women. They were hussies. Okay. They were from other. They were worshiping other gods. And God told Solomon part of his wisdom package was don't date non-believers. Because they will turn your heart away from me. But Solomon didn't listen because ooh la la. And he thought he could handle it. The missionary dating thing. Right. You know what missionary dating is, Right. I'm dating the unbelieving guy because I know he'll come to Jesus and he sucks you into a word of darkness and vice versa. Well, Solomon did that and he got to the point where he decided I'm going to do whatever I feel like. So he lived the second half of his, of his life that way. And that's where you get the book of Ecclesiastes where the guy's obviously totally disillusioned. And this is the last verse in the book of Ecclesiastes. All has been heard. The end of the matter is colon. Fear God, revere and worship him, knowing that he is and his keep his commandments. For this is the whole of man, the full original purpose of his creation, the object of God's providence, the root of character, the foundation of all happiness. See, we don't believe that, but it's true. The adjustment to all inharmonious circumstances and conditions under the sun and the whole duty for every man. Now, how does this tie into hearing the voice of God? How many of you have kids? How many of you tell your kids to do something? And how many of them, when you've asked them to set the table 
And then you look over and it's not done. And you ask them to set the table again for dinner and it's not done. And you ask them again and you say, I, I asked you to set the table. And what do they say? I didn't hear you. But they hear you when you say, who wants to go to Disneyland? I do, I do, I do. What's well, amazing. God healed your hearing. When our hearts are not turned toward God, we will hear only what we want to hear. And this is where it comes down to the acid test. When God speaks and requires something of us, that really is the test of whether our hearts are really his or not. And if we obey, he will continue to speak to us and continue to move us down the line. I'm thinking about Tom Lozano right now. Ever since I've met Tom, he's talked to me about children and wanting to reach children for Christ. And he would talk to me about it and talk to me about it and talk to me about it. Almost every time we come together, we we'd talk about it. But he, he was not doing it at this point in his life. He had done it previously, but now he's a businessman. He has other responsibilities. But every time I was with him, he would talk about children. It was clear that God had put children on his heart to reach children for Christ. So finally, he came to me and said, I've decided I'm just going to do it because I know this is what God's calling me to do. I don't know where to start. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to do something. And he started these little clubs after school, passing out flyers. Uh, to school children and then he'd gather them in a park and and do a little uh, he has a, an adventure club and he does these these uh, different things like they got a little magic show it's not like satanic magic it's just like illusions and stuff so settle down and uh, and then kids started coming to Christ and he'd do another one right here in San Diego all over our county and more would come to Christ and then more came to Christ one time there were like 300 kids that came to Christ at one time in one meeting until now Luis Palau has asked, the organization has asked Tom to do his children program at the festival this Saturday. Now, how does that work? Because he started to take the first step toward what God had called him to do. And God started talking to him about it more. In fact, when he decided, Tom decided, I'm going to go after 100,000 children. I think, was that what your original goal? Originally, I was going to say that, but I didn't want to insult you if it was 100,000. He decided, I'm going to reach 1,000 children for Christ. And he was in prayer, and he felt like the Lord said, no, I want you to go higher than that. And Tom's like, are you kidding me? And he said, okay, I'll go after 100,000. And the Lord said, higher. And by the time they were done negotiating, he called me up and says, I don't even know how to say this, but the Lord told me I'm supposed to go after a million children for Christ. And he's trying to plan it out and how, okay, if I can reach five here, a thousand there, and a thousand reach a thousand, if I, you know, and he's trying to map it all out and he's a goal setter and all this. He had no idea the Luis Plow organization was going to call him up and say, hey, why don't you come under our umbrella? You see, but if you start moving in baby steps in the direction God spoke to you about moving, then he speaks to you more and it opens up more and more and more. And then God can do the miraculous. Amen? That's, amen? Oh, that was pathetic. You guys, come on. That was a sad amen. <laughs> Eli knew the right spiritual equation. He just wasn't living it. He could tell others how to live it, but he had chosen not to. And God eventually stopped talking to him about 
his role in the kingdom of God because he knew Eli was not interested in doing the will of God. So he started talking to his new prophet, this little boy who was childlike, a childlike heart, ready to do whatever God wanted. God calls Sam, Eli's name and tells him, discipline your children. And Eli won't do it. Discipline your children. They represent me to Israel. They are priests. They are representatives of the kingdom of God. You've got to discipline your children. They're mishandling the money. They're mishandling the women. They're mishandling the glory. You need to set them straight. He wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. So finally, God stopped talking to him and started talking to this little boy. And when Samuel heard his name called, it says he ran. To God. See, that's the posture God's looking for when he calls our voice that we're excited about it. I find this in the in the in church life. Man, people first have an opportunity to be part of ministry in a church and they're so excited. They're so thankful. Oh, my gosh, it's a honeymoon. Been in church for a while. Been there, done that. I used to have my own ministry. I oversee things now. And all of a sudden there can be this attitude of aren't you guys lucky to have me? And we lose our sense of gratitude. And then God starts raising up others that are hungry and uh, thankful and ready to serve in any way possible. God has a destiny for you, but you need to do what he says now so he can continue to speak to you about the next step. Now, listen, many of us profess that we will do whatever God tells us to do. Our intentions truly are good. Like Peter saying, I'll even die for you, Jesus. And he couldn't even make it past the little servant girl. Our intentions are really good. But what happens is when God requires us to do something we don't want to do, that's the test. And I think about the rich young ruler. In the Bible, there's a story of a, 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 is it a rich young ruler or a young rich ruler? A rich young ruler. And he's in public, just like in church service, runs down in front of Jesus, falls down on his knees. What must I do? To inherit eternal life. I want to enter the kingdom. I want to be part of your team. What can I do, Jesus? And Jesus, looking at him, it says, loved him. And then he said, well, you need to give all your money away to the poor. Now, that's not a word for every person. That was a word for him because he had a greed issue. He was coveting his security, his significance, his value, his self-worth was caught up in his net worth. So Jesus knew his issue. Was blocking him from his destiny was his love for money. Now, you don't have to be rich to love money. You could be poor. Poor people love money, too, because we think it's the answer. I say we we think it's the answer to all of our problems. You see, you can lust after money, whether you're rich or poor. And so Jesus knew money was the issue with this guy. And when Jesus gave him the answer to unlock his destiny, the guy didn't like it. And so it says he turned away sad and walked away from God. And you, this is the thing that gives me, Jesus didn't chase after him. Loved him, but would not manhandle his destiny. Every person has the responsibility to steward their own destiny. God has given you free will, which is different than any other of all creation. You're not an animal. We're not part of the animal kingdom. We've been created in God's image, which means we have free will. And he gives you the choice to follow him or not follow him. And this is the hardest thing for pastors. When we see people in our congregation, we see what God's trying to do with them to set their life on course, boom, and to reach their destiny. And they won't do it. It breaks our hearts because we see what they're cashing in, what they're trading in for. They're definitely trading in for less. 
But we don't believe that. In our hearts, we really don't believe it. We really think that what I'm going after, the way I'm going after it, will be best. We don't trust that God knows best. This is what happened in the garden. Satan lied to him and said, if you will just live independently from God and go eat from that tree when he said don't, it'll be best for you. And they believe the lie rather than living dependently on God saying, you know best, I will simply obey you. They decided to obey the, the dictates of their own desires. The lust of the eye, the fruit looks good. The lust of the flesh, it tasted good. The pride of life, I will dictate my own destiny. Thank you very much. But I will call myself a Christian. Now, we're all on this growth continuum and we all are learning to trust God more and more. But what's God calling you to do? What has he said to you? You know what he has said to you to forgive that person, submit to authority, give financially, join uh, a team or a group or a situation or obey your boss at work. Quit criticizing, quit gossiping. Don't have that adulterous affair. Uh, Step into your calling that God's put in your life and don't be afraid of it. I don't know what God has said to you, but if you do it, you'll be blessed because of it. Now, listen to this phrase. If living your life for God isn't your aim You will only hear what you want to hear. Listen, what God says to Eli about not disciplining his children. So why do you scorn my sacrifices and offerings? Why do you give your sons more honor than you give me? For you and they have become fat from the best offerings of my people. That was their sin. God told them a certain way to do things. His children were not doing God's way of living. And God required Eli to straighten out his children. And the same thing with us, obviously. The Bible says God chose Abraham because he knew that Abraham would teach his children how to fear the Lord. And so there needs to be correction and direction to raise our kids. Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I promise that your branch of the tribe of Levi would always be my priest. That was your destiny. But I will honor those who honor me and I will despise those who despise me. Now, what was his issue? He was afraid of his children. He was afraid his children wouldn't like him. Many parents are afraid to discipline their kids because they don't want their kids to say, I hate you, which they will say. But who's the parent? You see, we need to be disliked by our children. Because the Bible says foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. So you can't let foolishness reign. So you've got to stand strong and discipline your children. I'm not talking smack them around. Do I have to teach a whole lesson on discipline right now to get myself out of CPS calling me up this afternoon and said, we heard that you were preaching at your church service that you beat your kids. Did not say that. Don't do that. But here he was not setting his children straight, bringing correction. And God uh, said, because of that, I cannot bring the blessings into your life. That I destined to bring into your life. So what does this really come down to? And I've got to bring this to a a close. But this is this is what we really need to land. What am I saying today? What is this really coming down to? The question is, who has your heart? Do you have your own heart for your own purposes? Or does God have your heart for his purposes? That depends. That will dictate whether you hear his voice or not, or whether you screen his voice and only hear what you want to hear. That's why the Bible says to protect your heart above all things. Look at Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. 
I mean, our hearts are so deceptive. That's why I present my heart to God, because I know that my heart will easily default into what's best for me. So I had to bring my heart to God on a daily basis and say, I'm giving you my heart. Fill it with the Holy Spirit fresh and new today. So my heart will be pliable in your hands or I will go my own way. There were two kings under Samuel. Samuel became a prophet. One was Saul. I don't have time to, to, uh, to get into this because we're running out of time. Uh, so let me say this real quick. There were two people under Samuel. One was Saul. One was David. A great lesson in hearts. Do you know when we talk about King Saul, for those of you who know King Saul, he lost his destiny because he wouldn't obey God. He wouldn't obey Samuel. This little boy, he became a prophet. And King Saul was, uh, Samuel was the prophet when Saul was the king. And Samuel, this little boy we've learned about, would tell King Saul what to do, what the Lord, where the Lord is. And Samuel would somewhat disobey, uh, obey, but not all the way. He kind of did his own thing because he was afraid of what people thought about him. Saul. Was afraid of what people thought about him. And so he lost the kingdom. But do you know, I have it in the PowerPoint, we just don't have time, so let me just say. Do you know that the Bible says that God gave Saul a new heart? God gave you a new heart at the new birth. The question is, are you stewarding that heart in such a way that you're keeping it turned toward God? Isn't it amazing? It even says that Saul went up to a hill where there were a bunch of prophets and Saul started prophesying, fell on the ground, rolled around all night long under the power of God. It became a proverb. Is Saul among the prophets? They were amazed that this man, Saul, got toasted by God at a church meeting. He was rolling on the ground. He was prophesying. God gave him a new heart, but he did not steward that encounter well. And end up losing his destiny. Because he gave into the temptation of caring about what other people thought about him. Rather than doing what God called him to do. This will happen to you in high school. It will happen to you on your college campus. It will happen to you in your marriage. It will happen to you in your work environment. Where there's peer pressure. Not to be a narrow, bigoted, hateful Christian. Is the tag that we put on you. And you just need to decide, I'm going to keep my heart turned toward God. And I'm going to do what he tells me to do. That was the other king, which is King David. And God said, David has a heart after mine. He will do whatever I say. That was the definition of he has a heart after me. David will do whatever I say. Okay, I want to close with this. I'm going to ask the ushers to come down and, and uh, we're going to, uh, because of time, we're just, let's just pass out the, uh, the, the uh, communion through the aisles. Can we do that? You start passing out the communion and I'm going to continue to teach for the last couple of moments. Now, here's the issue when it comes down to obeying God. I've said it a couple of times, but I, I, want to, I want to lay it in here. The temptation of the Garden of Eden, and again, this all comes back to obeying the, uh, hearing the, vo- the Lord's voice. Many times he's talking, but we're not obeying, so he just gets quiet. You're not going to talk to your kids about something else when they haven't yet done what you told them to do the first time, right? And so many times we're not hearing the voice of the Lord because we have not done what he's told us to do. He's not mad. 
He's not punitive. He's just trying to get us into a place where we will trust him and obey him. The bottom line since the Garden of Eden is that we don't trust God. And this is the journey we are on. Our journey is discovering the goodness of God. The truth is, the more that you and I believe that God is good, to the degree that you and I believe that God is good, is to the degree that we will, we will, we will obey Him. I'm going to say this again. You can go ahead and pass out the communion as well. I want you to hear this again because this is the crux of the matter. To the degree that you and I believe in the goodness of God is to the degree that you and I will trust him and obey him. When you discipline your children, do they ever get mad at you? Because they're not getting what they want, right? How about when they say, that's not fair. Ever heard that before? Okay, here's what they're really saying. I don't believe, one, you know best. Secondly, I don't believe you have my best interests in mind. This is what makes them angry, and it's what the Bible calls a hard heart. Their heart gets hard and they get angry as they sit in that room of time out and fume because they really don't believe in your goodness. They believe that you're doing what's best for you and that you're being unfair. And that breaks your heart as a parent, doesn't it? Because really... You are all about them. That's why you say, after all I've done for you. Have you ever said that before? See, you and I know we would lay down our lives for our children. They just don't believe it. And especially when they're not getting their way. Jesus already laid down his life for us, family. God has proved his goodness and he will continue to prove it. Over and over and over, God will prove his goodness to you and I. Because he's trying to get us to trust him so we will obey him so he can bless us and fulfill our destiny. Amen. So. I'm going to finish with some scriptures on God's goodness. We're going to receive communion. Jeremiah 29:11. God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. He wouldn't have to say that if some of them didn't believe it. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, when? When you believe that my plan for your life is good, then you will come and call to me and pray to me. Did you catch that? He said, you will come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Now, this next scripture is one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible. Moses started going after God. And he got so hungry for God, he cries out to God, show me your glory. Now, we sing that in our church, you know, oh God, your glory come in here. God, we want your glory. Let your glory be revealed. What is the glory of God? God answers Moses' cry to see his glory with this. And he, Moses said, show me your glory. Then God said, I will make all my, say it out loud, goodness pass before you. Psalm 34, he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. In other words, try it out. Try obeying God. You know, if he's told you to tithe, which he has, don't just give God a little bit of offering in the bucket when it goes by. You're not obeying him. That's not obedience. That's what Saul did. 
Saul decided, I'll do what seems right to me. I fear a lack of finances. God says, give them the first 10 percent of your income. So you're not tithing. Some people say, well, we sort of tithe. That doesn't even make sense. We sort of tithe. Tithe means the first 10 percent. So if you're not giving the first 10 percent, you're not tithing. And right now you're saying, well, forget it. I'm not going to give you what I was given at all. See, that's a hard heart. See, that's the wrong attitude. That's arrogance and pride and ugliness. Just obey him. Do what he says. Taste and see. Try him out and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Listen, to this passage bring. They're still passing out the offering. So I'm going to continue to read these last two passages. Bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord, saying, saying, give thanks to the Lord Almighty for the Lord is good. Will you say that with me? The Lord is good and his love endures forever. And the final passage, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. When you and I pursue God. What we're going to find is more of his goodness. So in closing this little revisit on hearing the voice of God, I want to I want to I I want to challenge you, commend to you, ask you, please obey what you hear, obey what you read. And you're going to find God's voice opening up more and more to you. And you're going to find out God's way is best. So I need uh, I need uh, some communion. Can I uh, have some uh, communion elements? So this morning, maybe you're sitting here and you've never given your life to Jesus. Listen, let me say this to you. You are never going to get all your questions answered. There is a point where you have to begin to walk by faith. I guarantee you, God has shown you enough for you to believe. You're just choosing. Thank you. You're just choosing not to believe. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's your pride. It's like, well, I don't want to believe just because they tell me to believe. Well, forget about us. God has been touching your heart. You've got to respond to him. Do you know a day is coming when you will not have the chance to respond? The doors of heaven will be shut and it is over. The question is, what did you do with my son? I sacrificed him for your sins. You had a death penalty on your life, eternal separation from God, and you didn't deserve it. But I loved you anyway by sending my son. He died for your sins. But you can walk away from me like that rich young ruler did, and I will let you walk. But God, I don't want you talking to himself. I don't want you to walk. You've got to come to me, but it's your choice. Forget about the fact that your wife or your husband or your mom or your grandma has been praying for you and they drug you to church. And now you're sitting here today or listening by tape. And it's like, oh, well, if I do that, then they'll say, see, I told you so. And then they'll start preaching at me. Forget all that. This is about your soul's destiny. This is about you and God. You've got to open that door to Jesus. If he's not real, nothing will change. But if he is real, it's going to change your life for the better. Will you open your heart to Jesus today? Will you give him a chance? Will you taste so that you can see that the Lord is good? Will you close your eyes? If that's you today, you've never given your life to Jesus, but you want to give him a chance. Invite him into your life. Will you raise your hand up so I can see it right where you are? I'm not going to bring you down here. You're not going to be embarrassed. Just raise your hand so I can see it. And I'm going to pray for you. And the Lord is going to completely 
wipe away all of your sins you've ever committed. In this instant, they're forgotten by heaven. If you receive Jesus, his credit rating becomes yours and his credit rating is perfect in heaven. Your credit rating, which has already failed, will be erased from the record books of heaven. But you've got to receive the sacrifice of Christ for yourself. You've got to say yes. Will you do that this morning? If you're in here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your savior and you want to do that right now, will you raise your hand up? Guys, see your hand in the back. I see that. Praise God. Anybody else raise your hand up? And say, that's me. I need to receive Jesus Christ into my life today. Okay. For, for, for all of us now, what we're about to do by taking the body and the blood of Jesus, we're not taking it saying, I'm going to eat his body and identify with Jesus, and I'm going to drink his blood, but I'm going to do my own thing. That's not discerning the body of Christ properly. What we're doing here is we're saying, I'm going to eat the body of Christ and I'm going to drink his blood and I'm going to follow him. And when I hear his voice, I'll say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And God's going to pour out his goodness on this congregation. Jesus, we lift up your body and we thank you. Thank you for dying for our sicknesses and our diseases. Thank you for delivering us from the curse of sin and death and the grave. You broke death and rose from the dead. And we as your people lift up your body in this place today. And we believe in all the power and virtue that comes through the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. Let's eat his body together this morning. First, this blood right here. I believe I'm getting this from the Holy Spirit. This is powerful. This blood you hold in your hands right now cleanses you from every ounce of disobedience you have ever committed in your life. The power of Jesus' blood is greater than any sin you've ever committed. The Lord, I believe, is saying that any, dis, any disobedience from this point past doesn't matter. What matters is a fresh start. No shame, no guilt. The power of the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Lord, we lift up your blood in this house. We thank you for the power of your blood that washes away all of our sins and gives us a brand new start every day. We believe in its power. As we drink this today, Jesus, we pray that you would heal people of cancer, brain tumors, diabetes, high blood pressure heart disease, liver conditions, irritable bowel syndromes, arthritis. Lord, we pray that the power of your blood would cleanse our soul, heal us emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. Let your power reign in this house and in our lives. Let's drink the blood of Jesus together. Mm. Let's all stand.